So we'll jump in, and again, seriously, I am going to be all over the place. I'm going to spend a lot of time reading Scripture to you. As Pastor Bobby said earlier, the Word teaches itself. So, uh, so we're going we're to trust in that. I am going to go over a lot of Scripture. We can have that sort of made available later if you'd like that list of Scripture that we go through tonight. I think it's fair to say that every one of us in this room have at some point in some fashion on some level have struggled this last eight months. Is that, is that a fair assessment that we've all struggled in some way? It's been a crazy, unpredictable, unprecedented, we've never experienced anything like it. It's been eight months of just uncertainty. And we're not out of it. We're still dealing with a lot of it. I was reading an article just earlier today, it's WebMD, so it's not necessarily a Christian publication, but they were talking about this thing called crisis fatigue. Some people have called it coronavirus fatigue or pandemic fatigue or whatever, but it's crisis fatigue. And it says, while crisis fatigue is not an official diagnosis, its effects are real. People can feel so overwhelmed that they're unsure of how to move forward. When people have crisis fatigue, it's natural for them to feel a mixture of exhaustion, rage, disgust, despair, desperation, hypervigilance, anxiety, and grief. Anybody experienced any of those emotions over the last eight months? I mean, if y'all, y'all don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to raise my hand and say that I've experienced most of them on some level, and I think all of us have. This article was written in July. We were dealing with the coronavirus, economic instability, employment issues and questions, racial injustices and tensions, and growing division and discord across the country in July. We're four months later. All of those things have gotten worse. Most, if not all, have gotten worse. Then add the stress of things like sending our kids back to school in this environment, not knowing what that looks like the stress of that, add politics, add leading up to the election, the election itself, the results of the election. I think we're worse off than we were four months ago. And if crisis fatigue wasn't a real thing four months ago, it absolutely is now. Again, not a Christian publication, but they did have some suggestions or recommendations of how to deal with crisis fatigue. And I think you'll recognize some similarities and some things I'll talk about later. Just go through them quickly. Number one, spend your energy intentionally. Number two, pursue things that give you joy and hope. Take breaks. Take care of yourself. Pick your battles wisely. Take a break from the news. Amen, amen, amen. Seek support. And remember that we'll come out on the other side. Pretty good advice, and I think we could probably make biblical arguments for for most of those. Pastor Brennan and I were talking a little while back. It's been a month and a half or so ago. We were just talking about everything going on, all the things that I just talked about. And I had a friend tell me six, seven months ago at the onset of the, the racial tensions and everything, he said he didn't want to pivot too quickly to hope. He wanted to experience that, that tension before he moved into hope. Wasn't quite sure. I, I thought I understood what he meant. 
But I, I believe I understand more so now what he meant than I did then because I think we're very quick to want to rush to the other side of whatever trial it is that we're going through. And when we do that, I think we miss what God's trying to do in us, through us, and to us in the middle of that trial. I think, I'm convinced, there were a large percentage of folks that woke up on the morning of Wednesday, November 4th, and thought everything was going to be fixed. Similarly, while hindsight is 2020, I'm ready for 2020 to be hindsight. I'm ready for it to be in the rearview mirror. I'm ready to be done with it. But I also think there's a group of folks that think they're going to wake up on January 1st, 2021, and say, Whoo! We made it. We got through it. I'm 99.999% sure that's not going to happen. We don't know what 2021 has for us. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what's happened tomorrow. Scripture tells us today has enough troubles for itself. Obviously kidding about the, we made it through it. But, but can you imagine? I mean, it's really not that far-fetched to think that when your hope is in all the things around you that continue to fall and fail, why wouldn't you have that sort of mindset? At some point, things have to go my way, right? We have hope elsewhere, and we understand that, so and we'll get to that here shortly. As we enter into this holiday season, God's giving us an opportunity to slow down and reflect, a time to rest and wait on Him. We don't know what's next. We don't know what 2021 will bring, so we have to turn our attention to how can we best live and love and serve and give in an unpredictable and chaotic time. That day when Brendan and I were talking a couple of months ago, we kicked those ideas around about living in, in this time and, and seeing what God's doing in this time, and we focused on the word wait. W-A-I-T. And uh, I'm convinced that to be a pastor in the South, you have to have two things. You have to, have to alliterate. Everything has to start with the same first letter. And you have to do acrostics for stuff. So I'm going to do an acrostic for you with the word wait. The W is going to stand for the word and worship. A is for abide, I is for intimacy, and T is for trust and transformation. And I think this is a pretty good roadmap for what we need to be doing in this time of rest and reflection. Like I said, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture for you, and hopefully you don't get tired of, of my voice. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Micah 7.7, 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. And then my favorite, Isaiah 40, 27-31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Pretty good argument for waiting on the Lord. There seems to be this correlation between waiting and patience. And I know we don't like to talk about patience, but it's something that that in times like these we must have. And in and of ourselves, we're not able to deal with things patiently. It comes as we wait on the Lord. Our strength comes from Him. All things come from Him that will empower and enable us to get through this crisis as it has every other crisis before and will in every crisis that's yet to come. It's Him, and we wait on Him. The Word... We know here at Calvary Chapel, this, this is the foundation, word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. The foundation for our getting through this crisis is time in His Word. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Psalm 119, 103-105, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do we feel that way about God's word? Do we really feel that way? Are his words sweeter than honey to our mouth? Do we pant like a deer for him? This is foundational. W is also for worship. Colossians 3, 16 to 17, and then 23 to 24. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Isaiah 12, 2-5, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. 
for our God is a consuming fire. As I was leading up to tonight over the last week or so, had some different thoughts as to which way I wanted to go and, and ultimately really just kind of landed on, on this last night and this morning. But I wanted to tie it to some, some points or some key things over the last few weeks of, of Pastor Brennan's teaching through Genesis and, and then part of Matthew. And the first thing I wanted to talk about as it relates to that, in Genesis we see in chapter 3 and then in chapter 6, this idea of seeing something finding it attractive, and taking it for ourself. Eve saw that the fruit was attractive and took it. We all know what happened there. And as the, the wickedness of the generation is being described in chapter 6, it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took them for their wives. We can look at it and say, well, we know what happened with Eve, and we know that this was a wicked generation, so they took what they thought was attractive, but how often do we see something that's attractive and take it? You know, somebody said once, if sin wasn't fun, it wouldn't be so tempting. It's attractive, and we're drawn to it, and we grab a hold of it, and we take it for our own. And most times when we take something for our own, we cling to it and don't want to let it go. More importantly than the clinging to it, I think what I want to talk about is this idea of something being attractive to us. Attraction is the beginning of adoration. We're drawn to something and we're drawn so much so to it that we begin to adore it. And as we adore it and we watch it, we begin to worship that which we watch. Talk about watching things for a minute. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In Titus 2, 11 to 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, or other translations say, watching or looking for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's looking to him. It's watching him. I listened to an author not too long ago who talked about having interviewed downhill skiers, professional downhill skiers. And they're skiing, it's not the straight downhill, it's they're going through trees and trails and everything else. And he asked him, how do you navigate such tight spaces and through these trees at such high speeds? And the guy said, really can be broken down pretty simply. You look and focus on the open spaces. Because you, where you look, there you go. So if you look at the open spaces, and I, there's obviously a whole lot more to downhill skiing at high speeds than just looking. 
places, right? If you look to the open space, you go to the open space. If you look to the tree, you're in trouble. I think it's probably lesson there as well. When we focus on the things that we are not supposed to be doing, what is it that we're giving all of our attention to? Those things that we're not supposed to be doing or that we're not supposed to be drawn to. I, I always make this reference when I talk about similar things. Guys dealing with pornography addiction. And the more you talk about the, the substance of that addiction, the more you're thinking about those things that you are addicted to. So we need to change where we're looking. We need to change what, what it is that we're focused on. Have you ever seen race horses? They have blinders on. And they have blinders on so that they're not being distracted by what's to the left or to the right. That's not a political statement, but it can probably be applied just as easily that we're not distracted by what's happening on the left or the right, that we're looking straight ahead. And if he does, with these blinders on, if he chooses to look to the left or the right, he's going to have to turn his whole head, and then what's going to happen? He's going to go where he's looking, to the left or to the right. The psalm from earlier said that his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 4, 25-27 says, To let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Straight ahead. Not distracted by what's attractive on the left and the right, but fixing our eyes on Jesus. I don't think it's an accident that Scripture tells us as Peter's walking on the water, he's looking at Jesus, he is focused on Jesus, and it says he saw the wind. And what happened? Everybody knew it. He sank. Fortunately, Jesus was there to pull him out. The A and the I, I think, are pretty closely connected. Abide and intimacy. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Abiding in intimacy with Jesus. John 17, 22 to 24, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What an incredible love Jesus is talking about there the love that he has for us that mirrors and matches the love that the Father has for him. Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's so much here about abiding in and with Jesus, the incredible love that he has for us, and that love that we're to show and share with others. But I do want to look briefly back at Genesis 6, where we're talking about Noah. In an evil and wicked generation, Noah found favor with God. God calls him righteous and scripture says he walked with God I think that's about as intimate as you can get to walk with God and Pastor Brennan has said several times when we walk with someone we agree to their pace to the place that you're going and the path that you're going to take Noah walked with God And Scripture says several times that Noah did all that God commanded, and he did it without question. How was he able to do this without question? Because he walked with God. He agreed to the pace, the place, and the path. I love the definition I heard recently of abiding as being restfully resident and desperately dependent on Jesus. In Noah's obedience, he spent 70, 80, 90 years laboring on this ark. And I don't believe for one second that it was Noah's incredible strength and fortitude that allowed him to persevere and do that work for that long period of time. I believe in some way Noah experienced and responded to the same invitation that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Eugene Peterson translation in, in the, or paraphrase in the message translation, I think really expresses that intimacy that we find in that invitation. He says, are you tired, worn out? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Noah had to have experienced that unforced rhythms of grace and a yoke that would have been of his own strength unbearable. Get to T. Trust. Everybody's favorite verse when we talk about trust is Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Psalm 37, 3 to 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And then Isaiah 26, verses 3 to 4, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Even in the things that Noah didn't understand, he still did as the Lord commanded, because he trusted him. He didn't know what an ark was, never experienced a flood before, but he trusted. Abraham trusted God as he took Isaac up the mountain. Moses trusted that God would lead his people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. For all of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, I think we can substitute where it says by faith with the word trust. Even Peter trusted Jesus while walking on the water until he didn't. Ultimately, our hope is in what God is doing or going to do in and through and after this current crisis. And we have to trust that. Otherwise, what happens is we end up waking up every New Year's Day or every post-election morning or day after a football game or whatever it is we're putting our hope in, we wake up brokenhearted. Because once again, the object of our faith and the substance of our hope has failed us. I had a video I wanted to share with you guys and technology wasn't cooperating. Um, the name of the song is called While I'm Waiting. It was in the movie Fireproof whenever, when it came out. Great song, and it really touches at the heart of what, what I was talking about tonight. Um, but listen to the words. I'll come back up and, and close out While I'm Waiting by John Waller. But let's go ahead and play that. So will we worship while we're waiting? Will we serve him while we're waiting? Will we move ahead bold and confident? There's a story in Acts 4 of Peter and John in front of the rulers and the authorities, and they saw that they were uneducated men, but recognized when they saw their boldness and confidence that they had been with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, abiding and seeking intimacy with Jesus. I started this part by saying that God's Word is the absolute, unshakable foundation of everything that we're talking about I'll finish by saying the absolute undeniable desired outcome for this whole process is our transformation. 
Second Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A transformation that leaves you bold and confident that people see you and they say something's different about that person. What is it? That people look at you in a wicked generation and say that person walks with God. That person found favor with God. That person is righteous. Pastor Bobby and I were talking about Philippians earlier, or in 1 Peter and Philippians, different, several different passages, but one of them said, live your life in a way that even your enemies can't find fault. That's a life that's been spent in the presence of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brennan taught from, or a week before last, from Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. For the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. We've got a bunch of folks. We've got a generation of folks that clean up the outside. But they're still trying to find their hope and place in their faith in the things of this world. And they're found to be cleaned up and swept but there's nothing there that prevents the evil spirits from returning and being worse off than it was before. Talk to people in addiction all the time, and I use that parable, and I say, whatever it is you take out of your life, if you don't replace it, ultimately with an intimate relationship with Christ, something will replace it, and you'll end up worse off than you were before. Ultimately, what what they're talking about there. Matthew 23, verses 25 to 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. Again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What is it that we're seeing and and is attractive to us and we're grabbing a hold of? What is it that's dead in us that we need to let go of? What is it that we're fixing our gaze on rather than Jesus? What is it that we're worshiping? What is it that we're spending time with rather than with him? If we're going to have any impact in this wicked generation, we must experience the transformation that comes from having spent intimate time with Jesus. Worshiping, abiding, and trusting. How are you going to respond when Jesus invites you to come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
And once again, I'll close with this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Father, uh, again, we just thank you for this this time that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for, Lord, again, the very breath of life that you've given us. Lord, uh, move in us and work in us that we would be a people who wait on you, that we would be renewed by you, that we would be strengthened by you, that we would find our hope, our fulfillment, our satisfaction in nothing but you. Lord, that we would fix our gaze firmly on you, Lord Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Lord Jesus, we are, as we're told, when we abide in you, you in us, if we don't, we're nothing apart from you. So Lord, draw us to yourself. Lord, help us to trust that you already know the outcome of this crisis and every other crisis that we'll ever experience. Lord, uh, draw us to yourself. Keep us focused on you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.